Welcome back. Welcome in. Good Friday morning to you here at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Casazzo. Welcoming in surprisingly good Chris Anderson. <laughs> now all the pressure's still on me. Now, now I got to live up to the expectations. I hope I don't turn out like a lot of athletes where you're underrated and then overrated. Um, and, and all of a sudden, maybe I'll be underrated again one day. So how did you, how did you, how did you spend your open week reps verbally, mentally, anything like that? No, that took, took, took some days off from the game. You know, gotta, gotta clear my mind, get away from it. I I don't want to overthink it too much. Don't want to let it get to my head. Uh, I, I got some reps in and, uh, got to get my, my wind back and my conditioning back weather change from like low to mid seventies to darn near frost overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of a sudden runny nose sniffles, things like that. And I'm going to gut through this. I've taken my allergy pills, but I feel like I'm congested and I feel like I, I, this is going to hurt me in the long run. The conditioning for this typically lengthy podcast here. I hope I have my, my lungs. Wait a second. Wait a second. Are we about to have a less miles moment right here? Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be cleared to participate tomorrow. No matter what. Uh, I'm not going to tell anybody what my diagnosis is because I'm the Mad Hatter. Chris, what do we think about this? Uh, I don't I don't know. We, it sounds like he's coming. I don't know if that's an advantage or a disadvantage. I could see the devil being in the details there with him, and he's going to be a good coach and have his team ready, but he hasn't been near anybody or anything, apparently, for quite some time. I almost feel like I would be more concerned if I was West Virginia or a player or a fan if he just handed it over to Brent Dearman and J.D. Elliott and said, wait a minute, D.J. Elliott, I'm sorry, and, and said, hey, we pay you this money, we put you in charge, you go win this game. That seems more dangerous to me. That's the devil you don't know. Right. I, I think it's it's weird to me. I, I I did my math is math thing on, on Twitter the other day because they had the story with, with Jeff Long, the athletic director from Kansas, saying and – you know, he tested positive on the 8th, and he's going to be traveling on the 16th, and he'll be outside of that 10-day window. And I'm sitting here going, 16 minus 8 is 8. 8 is, in fact, less than 10. So he's not outside of that window. And then, oh, well, maybe he got tested the day before. Okay, that's 9. Maybe he got tested the day before that. Okay, that's 10. 10 is still inside of a 10-day window. So he's still not – it's not – on the 10th day, you can go. It's 10 full days. I don't understand the the, the, the pressure to get out there and travel. I know coaches coaches are all uh, crazy in a good way and bad way. Um, they they want to be there. They, wanna, they, want, they want to be involved just like players do. But I think this is one of those instances where if, <clears throat> if I were Kansas, I would make him stay home to be better safe than sorry. If I were West Virginia, I would be pushing for him to stay home. Um, and if I were West Virginia, I'd actually be a little more nervous for, for health reasons. I'd want him to stay home for football reasons. Like you said, I'd be a little more nervous about some other guys taking over because it can't get worse than what they've done so far with less miles at the helm. And when Kansas makes changes, which by the way, that's happened to West Virginia before Charlie Weiss got fired the day before or the week before they came here a couple years back. Um, you may have something different here different quarterback. They made a change in offensive coordinator last year. They were better. That's typically giving West Virginia trouble too, but teams with interim coaches typically play better, at least early on. So, I mean, this is an interim coach situation, but perhaps 
the guy who's in charge of the offense just takes care of the offense. The guy who's in charge of the defense takes care of the defense. They meet, they put their plan together, they go. And maybe the players like it because what's probably going to happen is they know the offense and defense better than the head coach does. Um, the head coach will defer, but he's also going to push and guide to his vision. Without that pushing, that guidance, and that vision, it's funneled down to what those coordinators know best and what they know the players like and don't like. Not what we have to do, what we want to do. Not what we want to try, what we're good at. And that's a little bit sharper of an attack. I think that would be problematic. But I also don't think it matters because I don't think that team's very good, if not any good. Uh, yeah, I won't, I won't say who it was. So they, they can chime in and, and take credit for it if they like. Uh, but I did receive a, a direct message right after the news of the of my math is math tweet. I said, I can't believe Les Miles is putting his entire season and hours on the line just to come to Morgantown and lose by 30. Now, I'm not sure West Virginia is going to win by 30. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But is the point the point is made and, and taken and I understand it. So I don't I, I don't know why Les Miles is coming. If he is. I wonder. I wonder how much Jeff Long needs the clout because what, to be able to say that he he forced Les Miles to come or overruled Shane Lyons. <laughs> you mean like where, where, where's the clout? Yeah, I mean he he can't get out of the NCAA shadow in basketball. He can't get football right, but golly, he beat Corona. Right, and that trumps all else, I guess. No, my point being, um, my my, my thing here is that he needs Les Miles to be good. Yeah. and if Miles wins a game, doesn't matter where they haven't won a road game in in the conference in eight years, 50 straight losses. Do you know that? It's a crazy stat. Yeah. Um, if he wins one anywhere, it's great. If his coach that he's put himself out in the line for, not only to hire him, but to insist he's going to coach, if that guy doesn't travel and they win, I'm not sure how good that looks. Because initially I thought that maybe the legacy of this hire for pick a miles to come in would not be what he did. Realistically, he has only a couple of years because he's either going to age out of the job or he's not going to be very good at it. But, the legacy would be, could somebody that he puts on his staff, whether initially or along the way, could that person take over? And when he got Chip Lindsay as his offensive coordinator, I thought, all right, this might be good. That guy's going to be a head coach before long. Turns out he's the head coach of Troy because West Virginia took Troy's head coach. Um, but now they got Brent Deerman. Elliott's a pretty highly regarded defensive coordinator with a much longer career than Deerman. I think a lot of people think Deerman's going to be a coordinator and a head coach in the Power Five or the Group of Five before too long. So, it seems like it would be an opportunity for one of them, and I wonder if that wouldn't be. I don't know if that's if that's as fulfilling for an AD who really needs his hire to work. I'm not saying that's part of the calculus here too, but he really needs Miles to win, and every time the Miles on the sideline, I guess that that gives the whole plan uh, one more chance to work here too. Are we are we oversimplifying this to say that 23 points feels about right, and that a team that has given up 47 and 47 in back to back weeks? including once against a team that West Virginia just defeated. West Virginia should be able to, and Chris, this feels weird to say, kind of have its way tomorrow afternoon. I think so. Um, I went back and looked, what was it? Uh, you know, West, obviously, you mentioned it, 50 straight road losses. West Virginia's never lost to Kansas at home. I believe the average score of a West Virginia Kansas, or the average um, deficit or winning margin is 23, right, or 22 points. I think for a West Virginia Kansas game, obviously. If you count the yeah. loss, yeah, and the wins, it's just about four touchdowns. No, no, no. I'm I'm talking about um, at home alone. I think it. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll have to go, but, but yeah, I mean that that's. I think it's reasonable to assume that West Virginia should be able to at least offensively do what they want to do, and defense is good. Um, 
I, I have this inkling, this little bit of concern that Kansas Kansas has weapons on offense. It, you know, at the beginning of the year, I think it was you. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I was trying to convince me that that Kansas was uh. not tenth out of ten in this league. Um, and I said, no way, absolutely, you know, they're 10th, no matter what for me, until they prove otherwise. But there was this little part of me that said, they do have some some electric playmakers. You know, Puka Williams at running back. They have multiple wide receivers that, that you know, can be dangerous if they get the ball in their hands. And part of me thinks with those pieces and a new quarterback, a little bit of, hey, we got to, you know, like you said, when when there's changes on the coaching staff or an interim coach, now you got a new quarterback, maybe it shakes things up a little bit. Um, part of me thinks they might kind of be a little bit of a challenge offensively, like they're going to push this defense to really play hard, maybe, maybe score early a couple times and before the defense responds. I think that's what I'm concerned about most for West Virginia. Uh, I'm worried about West Virginia being young and kind of believing the clippings here and seeing a team that's gotten thumped twice in a row against teams that you played and certainly held your own against. I mean, they played Baylor and Oklahoma State back-to-back. By the way, so is Kansas, and West Virginia did way better. I don't think that you can prevent college players, kids, young adults, whatever, from looking at that going, boy, it's going to be easy. They're a little bit better than Eastern Kentucky, but man, we hung with Oklahoma State. We hung with Baylor. This should be a nice little Saturday. Um, that's dangerous because Coastal Carolina, Baylor, Oklahoma State, not a bad schedule. Have they gotten better? I don't know. Like I was looking at their PFF metrics, and it looks like they played okay by the number, certainly better than what the final score indicated against Oklahoma State. But some of their grades were good individually and collectively. And good's relative, I can just I understand that, but a week off, some sort of organization, because even if Miles is at the game, he's been by and large removed from this, and I'm guessing that the coordinators and their staff have done kind of what they wanted, what they're instructed to, I know that, but what they wanted, maybe the practices have been fun, maybe it's been challenging, empowering, motivating for the players, and then you get a new quarterback in with, you know, pull, pitch, and pop stuff with the run plays and the RPO and, and read option, and you get that defense spinning, but yeah, Parchment, Robinson, Lasseter are really good targets. Trouble is, they, they can't block for anybody right now, too, so it's going to be hard. Expect the ball to come out fast. Expect a lot of deception and, and trying to get outside with their speed, whether on a handoff or a pass. But um, they're going to have a challenge. That defense they're going to see Saturday is probably pretty good. Um, where do we begin on the matchup? Well, let me ask you this. Hold on. Here's a good question, because this may or may not happen with Les Miles. It, it may or may not happen with Nick Saban. Apparently, he may coach. I'm not sure how that's going to work, but... Um, I remember, was it last year? Hugh Freeze was coaching from a hospital bed right. in the skybox. And yeah. it was an absolute disaster. And Saban wants to, but if he's not, he's going to let his assistant, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, do it. Um, at last check, Kansas either didn't say or didn't know what it was going to do. <laughs> Someone asked Neil Brown about this, what he would do if he didn't coach. It was the most needless dodge ever. <laughs> he just refused to answer the question and, and likened it to um knowing who the designated survivor was for state of the union, which if you're not familiar when they have the state of the union, like one person in the hierarchy of Congress and like the presidential line of succession doesn't attend because if someone blows up the Capitol or there's a terrorist attack or whatever, they don't want the entire government to be wiped out. They want to have an acting president. So that person is designated to survive an apocalyptic event stays away. 
I guess that's what Neil Brown was equating his thing to. So maybe, maybe the point is that like, it's not anybody on the staff. It's like some guy that is put in a room during practice during the week. I don't think the analogy quite worked where he was going for there too, but I digress. What happens and how much does it matter if you don't have a head coach during a game? I, it depends. I think we've, we talked about this beginning of the year of where we thought he would go. I assumed Matt Moore simply because of title. Uh, you know, he's, he's listed as assistant head coach. So I would assume that means he'd take over those kind of decisions. But the biggest thing here is that Neil Brown calls the offensive plays. So you're going to, he's going to have to give that part up. And I, that, that that's where it goes to Jared Parker. And that could change. I don't want to say it changed the entire identity of the offense, but that could be the biggest change of, of, of the head coach being out is if he's calling plays on one side of the ball. Um, other than that, you know, a lot of the decisions that he has to make is, do you go for it on fourth down? Do you go for it on third down? When do you call a timeout? Even a lot of those timeout decisions are made by assistant coaches. Um, and the other stuff, going for it on fourth down, when to kick a field goal, when to punt, when to do all that. Neil Brown has said they literally have i don't know if they have a ch- little chart uh i'm assuming they do but he s- literally stud- studies it before a game and knows what he's going to do before he goes in there i assume these co- other coaches do as well and if they don't he, you know he'll share his notes with them so i think the impact on the actual you know 60 minutes of game time with a without a head coach would not be as drastic as many people think. Like the, for instance, you mentioned the Nick Saban thing. That line went from seven and a half, I think, or six and a half to three, and then Vegas had to take it off the board because, because <laughs> like that's the biggest change I've seen outside of like a franchise type quarterback being ruled out suddenly. And I think I think that's too much. I think it's it's too much credence to the like the the in game impact of a head coach at that very moment obviously the rest of the program building is extremely important for the head coach but that 60 minutes of game time i just don't see it yeah i kind of feel like it's not as much of a difference on saturday as it is tuesday wednesday thursday i think if your coach is out of the way on tuesday wednesday thursday um you're probably going to be okay on saturday and that's why this thing with kansas is really tricky too um so going by the designated survivor theory it can't be anybody who's around the team always. You want the person to be away. So you're wiping out anybody who's on the staff. So you thought Matt Moore. I thought Jeff Castillo. That was my preseason pick. Because, um, again, I think you're right. You don't want Parker calling the plays and running the actual offense. I'm... So then you've got to figure out it's going to be somebody who's away that you can give a headset to. I don't know who, I don't know what the rules are about. Like, Could you, for example, let Bill Legg? Your head that, coach. He's pop- I was about to ask, are we are we not counting? Is is he far enough away that we could count him? Because I think that might be my pick if we if we're going non on field guys. Yeah, I would think it'd be him because like your GAs are around a lot. You're not going to promote a GA. I, obviously, I get that. Your analysts, yeah, like they're not like on field guys. So then you're looking at you know a limited number of people there who could really realistically be candidates. Like maybe, I mean, I, I'm trying to even think here, like. It's guys who haven't been around that have been around a long, but have no experience doing that. Like Ryan Neal and Casey Vance, that's not working. Mike Joseph, 
<laughs> he's around a lot, but he's also kind of away from everything too. He's not, I mean, he's, he's getting the team ready for practice. So he's probably wiped out. So yeah, the designated survivor theory needs some, needs some tweaking in there too. I don't know. Perhaps I'll ask about that in the future. Soon. Um, let's get to the game and not um, politics. Cause we're not going to, we're not going to do that. Important matchups here. It just seems to me that I'm sure you're going to get to this too, but Kansas offensive line, West Virginia defensive line. And then I kind of like the possibilities for West Virginia's passing game against the Kansas defense. Feels like that might break out. If not, oh boy, we're going to have a robust series of podcasts on Saturday and Monday too. But um, I don't know. Let's let's start on the offensive side here. Where should 15,000 eyeballs be looking? 30,000 eyeballs, I guess. 15,000 sets of eyeballs. Where should they be looking? West Virginia's offense against the Kansas defense. Um, I mean, you said it. it it's got to be. I don't know. One eyeball on the receivers and one eyeball on Daigie. Got to figure out this passing game. Got to figure out the deep passing game. Got to win one-on-ones at receiver. And Neil Brown said that he's going to, you know, um, split up the reps more. Uh, last game, I think we, we we checked it. It was seven total reps for receivers that weren't starters. There were the four starters and then seven total snaps for the backup receivers six to ollie jennings and one to reese smith um you do that when your second string is nowhere near the talent of the first string and i don't think that's the case at receiver for west virginia i don't think there's that big of a gap between the first you know oh, no. yeah. like the first or second receiver and the seventh receiver so i think there does need to be a more split i think it needs to be a more open competition um, and put the best guys out there. Neil Brown, Neil Brown said he's doing that. So, you know, we're not telling him what to do. We're not giving him uh, uh, advice here. Uh, he said he's doing that. And he said that uh, when he was talking about Alex Singfield getting more touches at running back, that this is a uh, production focused business here. And if that's the case, it should be an open, open season at receiver all day Saturday, just open rotation. And as soon as you do something good, you can stay out there. And if you keep doing things good, you can keep staying out there. And if you do things bad, you're coming back out and just hoping to get another chance later. I have a couple of theories that I think weave together and explain some things. Are you ready? Yeah. Short preseason, right? Not ideal circumstances, quantity, quality of practices to get ready. Correct. Right. Okay. Back to back games against fair competition. Not a lot of snaps. I think there's an argument to be made that let's see how good our front line is and maybe get them as much action as we can. We're going to need these four receivers most across the push of the season. Let's stretch them out as best as we can. And you're kind of, you're adding, you're adding a conditioning and a practice and a preparation element into the games. You want them on the field as much as you can. I think they're probably pushed too much, but you're kind of giving them a lot of action early on. And you can, because you have a week off before and a week off after those two games. You can you can move the needle a little bit there, I think. Like I said, stretch them out more, but also you're getting those guys accelerated in their progress, and you're going to need them for the season. Theory one, theory two. I think it affected them, and I think Neil Brown knew that against Baylor, um, to the point that they just did nothing aggressive in the second half. Slowed it down, really pulled the reins tight on Jared Dagey, and probably because those receivers were out there a bunch blocking, running. I think people forget, too, and I'm not sure that West Virginia does the best job of this just from what I've been watching, but there might be a reason. But you're running on every play. Like, almost all the stuff is RPO stuff, which means it's a run-pass option. you got to be running a route. 
And even if it's a run play, you're blocking or you're selling it and you're going up the field and you're trying to make it seem like that. But you're moving all the time. Your outside guys are running something vertical all the time. Your inside guys are running a similar distance horizontally. They're moving a bunch, and I think it just adds up too. So I think there was some strategy involved to accelerate those de- the development of those players as much as you can. I also think it cost them, and that maybe explains why they went 0 for 1 on deep shots against Baylor, and that one was on the first possession of the game, too. So um, I think there's some method, there's some madness. I just think it hasn't worked out quite like they wanted either. One attempt. One. It's, um, it's, a, it's a big game for Daigie because I think a lot of people think he should light up Kansas. I don't think he was terrible, especially in the first game against Baylor, or the first drive against Baylor. That first drive, I rewatched it. Jerry Parker said something interesting about it on Tuesday, and I went back and I looked at it, and I'm going to write about this later today. It was a pretty good series for him in that he completed passes. They certainly set him up for success. Quick stuff right away, right side, backfield, left side, go deep, didn't work, but built up his confidence, let him take a shot, just didn't work. But it was there, and Bryce Wheaton just didn't help him a lot. Um, scrambles, runs like a draw play, calls his own number. Empty set, he rolls out right. He brings it in for a touchdown on the on the read play, which everybody had been screaming for. I don't know what happened, but I think that if I'm spending two weeks working on my quarterback, you're probably spending some time in between the ears. I like that first series as a way to look at him and say, hey, we prepped you, we scripted you, we got you ready for the game, and look what you did. It worked. It's certainly something we can repeat. Let's be positive. Let's have um, – reinforcing reps here and trying to make sure that we remember we're good at this and we can't throw the ball deep and we can't connect on passes. We can string together drives. Uh, I just thought it was a good look for him. I don't know what happened, but I'm also pretty sure listening to Parker and even Brown, they're not so much worried about the negative stuff. They are. They're not going to obsess about it. And that's a good place to start is the literal beginning of the Baylor game. I don't know what happened at the end of it. I'm sure they can clean up and look at some things, but that I think that they try to do something very similar, not just the first half, but frequently, and you mentioned this in the post game after Baylor, they went back to that script of the plays within the Baylor game, correct? Because they had yeah. to get him right. I would try to do something similar like that in the game. Like maybe I wouldn't plan out so much as to what I want to do. Maybe I'd have a short script and just keep going back to it again and again. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what Neil Brown said after the game. So I think and I, I'm curious where that was. You know, I, I, I actually went back and tried to find it. I saw some plays that looked familiar. Um, obviously I would assume that they're going to jumble up the order as to not, you know, make it too obvious that they're running the same daggone plays again. But, um, man, uh, you, now you got me looking at that passing chart for Daggy last game. We've been, we've been kind of chiding him about not hitting the deep passes. And when we say deep passes, we're talking 20 plus yards of throwing the ball in the air. Oh, for one, as you mentioned, one attempt. Well, well, hold on, Chris. I'm told that he can't throw the ball like more than 30 yards. That's why a Hail Mary is not acceptable. <laughs> don't don't get started on your halftime stuff, all right? <laughs> we already spent too too long on that last time, I think. That was that was end of regulation. I didn't we didn't even go over that in the podcast. That just that was a, a brush fire that became a full-blown inferno by the time we got off the podcast and went to Twitter. Yep. Um, but I'm looking at that passing chart. We, we, we keep referencing, again, we keep referencing deep passes, and that's 20-plus yards in the air. He was one for five on passes of 10-plus yards in the air. And that one completion was the six-yard touchdown. And I know, oh, six yards is less than 10. Math is math, right? But this is in the air. It was into the end zone. 
I think you can safely say that that was more than 10 yards in the air. Not only was it six yards to the goal line and probably at least four yards into the end zone, but then uh, to the far side of the field. So definitely more than 10 yards in the air, but one of five on 10 plus yards. I mean, that, and, and Neil Brown took responsibility for it after uh, this week. And, you know, he has to do a better job of calling downfield plays. That's crazy. <laughs> five passes over 10 yards in the air. I can't wrap my head around that in a double overtime game. Um, five passes. I think that again, I'm not, I don't know who it'll be or what they do. I think they'll try to stretch it. I don't know. Just what they do. Um, I'm not sure they're calling play action enough. A lot of the RPO stuff counts as play action, but the way they're running the ball, if they start incorporating play action and you got to like, you got to step forward because Letty Brown's coming at you. Wait, Letty Brown doesn't have it. All of a sudden James and Wheaton and, and Wright become a little bit scarier too. I just think it helps them out. And, and that's what they want to do. I mean, when, his his two really prolific passing Troy teams are at about 38, 40% play action. It's a big number, too. And, and then Matt Moore even said last year, I keep bringing this up, but it's I don't think a script changes this much, but they want to add a tight end. They want to have three receivers out there. They want to get big, play action, take a shot, and, and do it in normal down and distances. Not because it's third and 11, we need a big gain, let's go deep. No, it's, it's second and two, it's first and 10. We got them on skates. Let's play with them a little bit. And that just hasn't happened yet. And I don't know what the reason is, too. But I will say this, looking at some stuff, too. I would expect more of the short stuff for a couple of reasons. Their most dangerous receiver right now is Winston, right? Correct? Yes. I think he can get vertical. He's done a little bit. He's been targeted once. He's certainly got some good routes. He knows how to get open. But um, they're also talking about, hey, if we can't throw the vertical stuff, let's at least get a play that gains 20 yards with a short pass. He can do that. Also, Oklahoma State and Baylor were 10 of 11 on throws behind the line of scrimmage. There's a personnel thing there we'll get to. What did we talk about last time we were here, Chris? Screen passes. Screen passes yeah. What happened on the second snap of the game? Screen pass. Hadn't yeah, seen like one a, in like a couple of years, and there it is. And it was even like a tricky thing. It wasn't like a traditional like jailbreak, let everybody through and then roll your offensive line out. It was just a two-man blocking scheme, but it worked out really well. And probably the best you can do because you don't want to get your quarterback killed. But those receivers were, you know, blocking on the outside and the lineman came through and gave um, A. Brown an alley and it worked. Um, I could see something like that happening where um, I have a feeling this is going to be a, a good game for Sinkfield. We can get to that too as far as individuals. But it's, it's a way to get him um, – open up on other things because if you start again if you're if you're stretching the field horizontally you can stretch vertically if you're if you're concentrating action outside in the perimeter you can get guys open deeper if you're concentrating action in the middle you can get guys up on the outside um, maybe a way that they actually get this thing going vertically is to manipulate the other parts of the field and that means you know using Wright and simmons but also using brown and Sinkfield too out of the backfield uh maybe a lot of people catch balls today maybe it's a collective effort not everybody goes um goes big in the stats but it just feels like that they're going to put so much time into it in between games that that's going to be their focus. This is a big game. Uh, I think, you, you know, we've insinuated, I'm just going to flat out say it, but this is a huge game for the offense and could dictate the confidence level or how the rest of the season turns out because it has been somewhere between terrible and not very good against the two decent teams they played and was pretty darn good against a horrendous team. So I'm not sure. And the two teams that it struggled against 
I think we're going to find out are going to be maybe the two best defenses they play all year. Uh, I have to think maybe Kansas State uh, would be up there too. But two of the best defenses they're going to play all year. So how much do we really know about this offense? And I think today is the day or Saturday is the day when we find out more. Because is Kansas good? No, they're not. They're probably going to end up 10 out of 10 in the Big 12. But they have actual FBS talent. They have talented players. They have talented coaches. So if West Virginia is able to move the ball, score some points, get some deep passes in, this would give the offense more confidence, but also tell me a little bit more about what they're capable of doing than, say, that Eastern Kentucky game did and might alleviate some of the concerns that that come after two poor showings against what are two pretty darn good defenses. Yeah, you can't lose this game. No. And you can't no, start no. either. The, the, scoreboard, no, no. the scoreboard is almost an enemy for you, um, unless it's your friend. What I mean by that is, like, if it's, if it's big numbers and big stats, it's great. It's not big enough. It's not impressive enough. It's an enemy for you there, too. Um, individuals that I think factor into this, too. Um, it sounds like we're going to see Zach Frazier again. Neil Brown says, saying on his radio show that he'll start. Does that mean James Gemitter won't play? Again, don't know. It all depends how that works with him. We have no idea. They, just, they, they won't say. They just said they didn't know. But, you know, did he have symptoms? Was he knocked out? Surely he didn't practice. So even if he's available, he's probably not worth much to you. So Frazier plays. Um, I'm looking toward the tackles, though. It seems like Brandon Yates has finally taken over. He was atop the depth chart. Chris, that depth chart, valid, legitimate, right? Um, is that the only change in offense? Was That that seems like the, the Yates thing was actually like kind of etched in stone a little bit. They typically don't do a lot on their Tuesday depth chart, but that seemed like it actually was somewhat um, updated, correct? Yeah, I think... Uh, you know, when that game happened yesterday or last two weeks ago and Yates came out there, I I don't know about you. My initial thought was, oh, uh, maybe Uzebu got knocked out by contact tracing because obviously he's on the left side of the line right next to James Committer for extended periods of time. And that's how they determine who needs to sit. But I believe he was in uniform on the sideline, right? I, I think maybe yes. we determined that or somebody determined that. So I think I don't I don't think that's the case. And I think it was clearly that just Yates is the starter and that's the way it's going to be. The, the staff said it was a tight, tight, tight race all through fall camp. Uh, they gave Eusebio the edge towards the end, I think a week before the game. And then I, I don't know, some guys just do better when it gets into game time. Uh, Yates seems to be that guy. Uh, it's a close one, but, you know. I don't think this is the end of Eusebio. Maybe you'll see him a little bit more later, and he's got to be ready. And I think Yates was serviceable. Yeah. Is, that, is that a good word uh, for, for what we saw two weeks ago? Uh, and, and he's still a registered freshman, so that's good. He was better than he had been, too, so I think that yeah. helps. Uh, two things. You know who was also to the uh, either side of the left guard? The center. He did mm-hmm. not get contact mm-hmm. traced, so he played. Um, and you know who also was a really good player when the lights come on, according to Neil Brown? Sam Brown, whom we haven't seen since then. So uh, credit for your, credit to Yates for sticking in there. That could have been deflating for a guy who's young and wants it, didn't get it, but he was ready too. Um, I'm pointing at the tackles because um, I'm, not, I'm not so much worried about guard center guard this team. And I think they'll probably go as far as those three go. But the more I think about that, they can go as far as maybe they want to go if their tackles begin to play. Their right side seems like it's going to be Hughes. I'm not sure their, their tickle with 
Mays, but Mays is still kind of new to right tackle, so I'm not sure that he should have grand expectations out there. We forget a lot of these players are are new in so many different ways, um, whether new to college football, new to the sport, like a guy like Mike Brown, even though that, there's some shelf life on that that experiment there. He's, he's been here for a while now. Um, but Hughes seems like he has that. Mays is back up. Yuzebu Yates almost flipped a coin that maybe they're going to they're gonna land on the Yates side right now. But here's some numbers in the first couple of games for Kansas's rush defense. Coastal Carolina, pretty good team with a wacky rushing offense that it does, does so much stuff. But outside the tackles, 26 attempts, 121 yards. Baylor, outside the tackles, 22 attempts, 143 yards. Oklahoma State, outside the tackles, 23 attempts, 125 yards. Those are big numbers outside the tackles. Um, I think that's why I like Alex Singfield in this game. Not only is Brown trying to invest in him a little bit more, I'm not sure he stretched from, you know, nine touches to, I don't know, 15, 18 touches. I'm kind of comfortable with him getting nine touches and, and just making them all potent. But what does Singfield do? He's an inside-out guy. He's going to, you know, cut you inside, bounce you outside. He's going to stretch outside. And he's also going to catch stuff out of the backfield. Lenny Brown could do a lot of that stuff, too. And I think his advantage is he's pretty good on zone plays and stretch plays and finding the gap and going. I think that if the tackles do their job with some help from a tight end or a guard, too, there's going to be space in those tackles. Just looking at those three numbers I just gave you there. Um, big yards for carry. More importantly, a lot of attempts, too, and a lot of success outside the tackles. That's some place that West Virginia could really use some polishing. And if those tackles can have a good game, I think you probably change the way you feel when you're in the locker room. Nine carries, 75 yards outside of the tackles for uh, Singfield. Not a, not a bad little yard per carry clip there. That, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's something they can maybe do too. Any personnel from Kansas get your attention on defense? On defense, no. I think a lot of my attention when it's when West Virginia is on offense and facing up against Kansas defense. For me, it's more, if I were West Virginia, more introspective of what's going on than really mm-hmm. any matchups. It's 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 what can we do? Let's focus on us. Let's focus on me. Let's focus on you. Um, and a lot of that falls on things we've already mentioned, Deggie, the receivers, and, say, the left tackle. Uh, again, I thought Yates was serviceable, but let's get a couple games in a row and, and see where it goes from there. Check out their hybrid guys. Um that that's going to be interesting to me too. They play mostly odd. Um, they'll, they'll junk it up a little bit and they'll do some different things. Um, but they're what do they call this guy a jack? Stephen Parker, six four, two twenty five. Didn't seem like he was very good or very active the first couple of games. Played a lot and played better. I mean, he was he was a presence against Oklahoma State. Now they did a lot of stuff in his direction, so that might be indicative of something too. Uh, the Hawk is an interesting guy, kind of like their slot corner. He's not what we saw from Baylor and their star and that guy who just gave him all sorts of trouble. Uh, this guy's 6'1", 186, Nate Betts. Um, he's your slot corner, and he just fell into it, it, looks like. He played almost twice as much in the third game that he did in the first and second game combined. Played slot corner a lot. Was good against the run, too. Um, and I think if we're talking about the edges and using your slot receivers, that's the guy you want to circle. You want to make him work. Um, he's a redshirt senior named Nate Betts. He's played a little bit uh, in the past. They've kind of maybe elevated him because he's more mature than a lot of these guys on defense are. Kansas is a young defense. Um, just going across there too deep, here's their backups on the defensive line. Redshirt freshman, redshirt freshman, true freshman. They're starting a redshirt freshman at Jack. A true freshman is their backup, Sam. 
then you go down into their secondary. Uh, backup Hawk is a, tr- is a true freshman. Backup corner is a true freshman. Starting corner is a true freshman. And then a backup free safety is a true freshman. Not a lot of depth, not a lot of experience. So um, you certainly can have your way with them there if you're, if you're aggressive on offense. Yeah. Uh, again, they need to get this offense going. These, all these guys that are out there for Kansas, talented, young, but young, inexperienced. Uh, so if West Virginia can get something going against them, then that should give them some confidence moving forward. Flip the script here. We'll go to defense. Um, I've peeked at your three keys of the game. Everybody else listening should, too. Uh, this begins and ends, of course, on that side of the ball in the backfield with Ben Miles. No? Oh, I'm sorry. Puka Williams. I had the wrong line of the depth chart there. Uh, yeah, it's it's strange. with when we, And we've talked about West Virginia's running tendencies and other teams' running tendencies in the, in the Big 12 because all these teams – run some form of a spread offense. And when you run the spread offense, you spread everybody out wide, all the wide receivers out wide. And then that kind of clears out the box on the defensive side, gives you good numbers and you run the ball up the middle. That was that God, I, I, how many times did, did Dana talk about that when he was here about doing that sort of thing? And West Virginia still does it now. Uh, Kansas does not. Kansas is, the outlier. They are zigging when everyone else is zagging. And they run the ball outside of the tackles 60% of the time. Mm-hmm. Huka Williams is more 50 50. Uh, he is almost exactly 50% inside tackles, 50% outside tackles, meaning everybody else that gets carries for, uh, for Kansas is closer to 65 to 70% of the time. So, this is going to be important for West Virginia in that somebody has to keep the edge. Uh, and by keeping the edge, I mean somebody keeping contain on the outside of the, of the, the line, the defensive line kind of thing. And that's not always the defensive end. Sometimes it's a defensive end. A lot of times it's the bandit or the other side outside linebacker that will. Um, and, and it can even be safeties. It just depends on what the defensive play call is. But keeping that edge is going to be key. And I think West Virginia has the speed – at those positions to really kind of stifle Kansas's run game. But you have to be disciplined. And I think discipline has to be the biggest concern for that matchup. I like it. It sounds like Dylan Tonkery will start at Bandit. Do not know about Van Darius Cowan. Uh, I don't think he's back yet or even there. They're, they're hoping he would practice this week. We haven't gotten an update, of course. But if they're going to start Tonkery, that means that at least Cowan probably didn't practice enough to play, which means if he or to start, which means maybe he didn't practice enough to play yet. But uh, good news there is that Tonkery's serviceable. I don't think he, he frightens you in a game like this, but he's going to have to matter. But if not, partly played better too. Um, that's that's probably reassuring is that he was much better against Baylor, more confident, more effective than he was against Oklahoma State too. Uh, offensive line for Kansas, um, sieve, <laughs> problematic. Um, I think that's why they've maybe gone to the quarterback they or the the route they have with their offense and their quarterbacks, make them mobile and move them around and, and kind of take some heat off it. It also may be why they've had so many outside plays. They probably can't get the push to go forward, but their offensive line has had some trouble. And I would imagine if you got the momentum that Darius Stills and Dante Stills and Jeffrey Poole and Akeem Mesidor had, you're probably licking your chops to get out there Saturday. Yeah, I think the biggest matchup is going to be for Dante Stills, who who typically lines up on the right side of the defensive line, meaning he's lining up across the left side of Kansas's line which has been horrid 
absolutely horrid. Uh, Malik Clark has played every snap at left tackle and has allowed 17 quarterback pressures through just three games, which is <laughs> a considerably like the worst in the Big 12 conference, literally the worst, and third worst in the entire country. Um, so that's a spot you can attack. I think but your left tackle to say, too. Yeah, your left tackle. I think that's it's safe to say you can attack that spot. Um, and obviously, as as Neil Brown mentioned, the defensive line kind of shifts uh, where you're lining up. Whether you know sometimes Dante Sills is lining up heads straight up helmet to helmet with the left tackle. Sometimes he's on inside shoulder. Sometimes he's on the outside shoulder of the guard. Uh, and even if he slides inside and has that matchup with the left guard, uh, Jacoby Lott. Not much better. He's played, he started every game, played about three fourths of the snaps, and his pass blocking grade is 28.4. Um, this is on a scale to 100. So 28.4 is not good. Not good at all. So That's I not think, even an F. Yeah. So either with either matchup for Dante Stills, it, it, it's a positive. It's a positive for West Virginia, is a place they can exploit. And I, I expect a big day from, from Dante Stills on Saturday. Uh, it goes, again, to, to Puka Williams here. He's got carries, or a lot of touches, I think. They're really creative in what they do with him. Um, he, he obviously gets your traditional running back stuff, but they played him in the slot 14 times at wide receiver eight times. And don't look now, he was on kickoff return six times last game. He hadn't done that at all. They're trying to get him in different ways involved in the game he's their best player he's their best chance to score anytime they touch the ball so hey put him at receiver um put him on a kickoff return and give him a touch maybe it happens trouble is he's only been targeted four times he has three catches in the passing game so he's a decoy at times but i don't think you can fall asleep there too because if he's in the slider he's out wide i think he could probably run routes and get open against a linebacker or safety he could also uh, motion and take a you know a hot potato pass or you can take a handoff things like that too so you definitely got to watch him but again their their receivers are are talented. Um, here's a good question for you. Lassiter, Robinson, and Parchment. As a threesome. That's not embarrassing, right? I and mean, that's, I don't want to say it's the best in the Big 12 or whatever, but like, golly, that's not the worst in the Big 12. Like, here's the worst team in the Big 12. I get that, but uh, a, a exciting, threatening running back and a, a trio of receivers that really should get your attention if you're a defensive coordinator. Can we call it the, um, I was about to – no, I'm not going to do it. I was going to oh. make a, a, a Baylor quarterback joke here, uh, but I won't do it. I won't do it. Um, they are, I, yeah, they're the Charlie Brewer. I'm going to do it. They're the Charlie Brewer of <laughs> the wide receiver group. Like, they, they are decent, and they've been around in a while, and you think maybe they're whatever, top four, top five in the league for, you know, a trio of receivers. But – they got to be able to do it. They got to have the web. They, they got to have. They also, to their credit, uh, as for all receivers, you have to have a quarterback that can get you the ball. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't catch, throw the ball and catch it yourself. So I don't know how much of that falls on them, but um, I don't want. Do you want to do this? Do you want? Do you want me to throw it out there? Would you rather have that three qu- wide receivers? Oh man, are you? Uh, you knew I was doing it. <laughs> the three wide receivers West Virginia has. You don't want me to do that. All right. All right. I, I will. Well, who's who is the third for West Virginia? This is a great question because I'm who's, not, the, who's the second? Like I'm saying, I'm probably going James one Wheaton two. I'm guessing, right? Say, let's say James Wheaton 
Simmons or Wright? Either one. You pick. I don't care. Uh, ask me in 36 hours. Because <laughs> I don't because people. We, it's it's I, I like those three. I just do. That's one reason I was really high in the beginning. Um, I, I kind of thought they, were, they would have another quarterback under center uh, who be playing. And maybe we still will see him. But that I just thought like that collection of offensive talent should have been good for something because I really like Brent Tierman. Um, he got it going last season. He coached the final six games as offensive coordinator. And these aren't great numbers, but they scored 24 points per game. I had 400 yards of offense. Let's make it relative, though. That's Kansas. So you're up from about 13 and a half to 24 and about 310 to 400. So that's significant improvement when he got going. So, um, by the way, do you know who their offensive coordinator was? Uh, no. Well, they ran this guy off, too, and his last name was Kading. Oh. <laughs> um, oh, he was, uh, Les Kading was the offensive coordinator, and they were cousins, him and Vic Kading. Um, Wait, but I thought they said their names differently, right? When they're eighteen Koenig and Koenig. Koenig there you and, go. Yeah, yeah, eighteen thousand so. stories about that, Mike. Come on, man. Come on. Yeah, my bad. So, anyways, um, I, but I whiffed. They, they're not nearly as as potent as I thought they'd be. It does have to, perhaps, with the quarterback. Let's talk about Miles Kendrick. First career start. Um, he was going to play in twenty eighteen. He got hurt. Didn't play at all last year. And then they had a weird setup at the start of the season where he played like every third series against Coastal Carolina. Uh, Les Miles tried to maneuver that. It just didn't work. Uh, they started Jalen Daniels, who they compared to um, Cam Newton, and ultimately they have something in common because they missed a game. One is out this week. One may be coming back. But Jalen Daniels won't start to go. Miles Kendrick, first career start. He's played a bunch. There are some advantages, I think, with him. There's also some weaknesses. He's 5'10". Um, I think that concerns you a little bit and just doesn't have a ton of experience, and he's never had the ball at the start, never mind from start to finish. I'm not sure this is the fix they want. I really thought Thomas McVitie would be their guy, uh, 6'5", 220, really athletic. Probably, I think they would tell you, more athletic or at least no less athletic than Kendrick. But here we are, third quarterback already in four games. What do we think? What do we know about Miles Kendrick? We don't know much, but we know that, you know, they didn't have much. They were never going to have much. Um, I think I ranked them – ninth out of the 10 opponents for opposing quarterbacks just ahead of Eastern Kentucky. And I, and I had a hard time doing that. And I think, you know, a lot of these guys were competing with, Oh God, was his name? Carter Stanley last year. And Carter yeah. Stanley was not, Carter Stanley was not good. Um, and I mean, he was okay. I don't know. I, mean, I don't want to be too hard on him, but was not good enough to be a, a middle pack or top level big 12 starting quarterback. We'll put it that way. And none of these guys could beat him out for the job. And I'm not sure that – I'm not sure Kansas' answer – let me put it – I'll just finish with this. I'm not sure Kansas's answer at quarterback is currently on the roster. There. No, you're right there. I think that's accurate. Um, you're going to hear a lot of people tell you that Kendrick is a running threat. He's taken over 90 snaps this year. He's run four times, twice on a design, twice on a scramble. Um, it does look like he's capable of doing RPO stuff and he can run. I think that worries you a little bit if you're a defense. I'm just not sure. I think anything that scares you. I'm not sure that he's more dangerous than Charlie Brewer, for example. Um, I don't know what to think about him. I mean, his numbers are, are kind of deceiving. It's hard to tell. Spreads the ball around. He's your typical guy. He's going to throw more to the center and the right um, than he does to the left. But he does throw it to the left. Doesn't push it very much. Um, not a ton of stuff behind the line of scrimmage either. Just, um, just five attempts in his three games, I guess, so far this season. 
Um, it's hard to get a read on him. He's got talent. He's got guys he can move around to. But when I say he has talent, he has talent on the field with him. He should be able to do something with it. But um, you worry about 5'10", and he had a ball batted down last week, but that's it. And he does move around a little bit, and they, they roll him and try to get him in the clean pocket. So I think you might expect some second-level pressure from West Virginia, whether it's Tonkery or Bartlett or Tony Fields or Tyke Smith, even, who got a little bit more involved in that last game, too. Um, defensive line might be able to do it by itself, but – Man, if you know he's going to be moving right, send somebody from the right or left and chase him down or close that window and make it hard on him. Um, what's interesting here is we mentioned that they did play the two quarterbacks, McVitie and Kendrick, the first game. Brent Dearman says, we want to have one guy this week. Try to get him in, situated, give him confidence. I'm calling shenanigans. <laughs> I, I, I kind of think that if Kendrick doesn't have it, they go to the other guy. And I would also watch this, too. Man, I... I don't know if I'd be surprised if they had two quarterbacks in the field sometime. McVitie's a really good athlete. I don't think I think people look at a tall guy who's you know, again six five two twenty, but he's a really good athlete. Um, in fact, when he was at Pitt, he was on special teams. He, he got special teams action as a quarterback because they were like, "This guy's really good." I'm not saying he's Taysom Hill, but he was a guy who could help him in different ways. I'm not sure that he's going to be running receiver routes, but I'm not sure why you couldn't put him in some sort of a package or some sort of a situation where you're trying to get a jolt. And uh oh, there's two quarterbacks in the field. That's a lot better than what Kansas can organically give you, I think, sometimes, too. That would worry me. And that leads me to this, too. If it's miles or not less miles, there's going to be a miles influence. Over or under on trick plays? Two and a half. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Wait, you think it's going to be higher? That's, that's, I'd, I'd love to see it. I just That's a big number. Yeah. And now are we calling it uh, like a two-quarterback on the field a trick play? Uh, I was. I yeah, okay. That's where, yeah, okay. I, that, I thought that's what you're referring to since you just mentioned that was two quarterbacks on the field trying to misdirection, maybe not a full on like, you know, toss back to the receiver or to the second quarterback or anything like that. But at least having two quarterbacks on the field, I think you're going to see multiple plays. Yeah. And you got to worry special teams, fake punts, fake field goals. I mean, what do they have to lose? They have a whole lot to gain. Again, 50 straight Big 12 road losses. Change the plane ride home. Do whatever you got to do. And, again, if you got to be tricky, sometimes great. And, again, that's – whether he's here or not, that is a Les Miles signature is that he's going to have something up his sleeve and you got to be ready for it too. Um, and that's probably all I want to say on special teams. I don't know what we're going to get or what we're going to expect. Uh, they want Alex Stinkfield to return more punts. We may have a new punter. Who knows? But uh, believe it or not, Chris, I'm not going to go into special teams right now. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to talk about potential long snapper changes – no punter changes. I wanted to get in to ask about the punter thing because I still think that's something we might see maybe sharing duties this week. But not knowing how practice went and not listening to the radio show, I'm not even sure if he got into his punter, but I would not anticipate a change. But I would not be surprised if Tyler Sumter struggles that you put Colton McGee in. Trouble is, I just don't know. I don't know what Colt McGee is. Is he a punter? Is he a kicker? Is he your future punter? Is he your future kicker? Um, is he good? The fact they wanted to get him again, Tucky, and he didn't doesn't necessarily say anything about it. It just means he's not quite there with Sumter before. Has Sumter brought McGee closer? Maybe, but has McGee brought himself closer? Don't know. But again, I think that's probably the most likely fix of that situation, which probably should be good. Like your defense is good, and if you can give him a break and give him you know, five, seven, ten more yards in field position sometimes, that'd be really good for him. And the team has been bad either. Well, Mike, I can say that on every edition of the depth chart released by WVU this week, 
uh, Tyler Sumter, starting punter, Colton McGee, backup punter, and not listed anywhere. So I think we can put that conversation to bed. Uh, that is set in stone. Yes? Yeah. But what do you think McGee is in 2021? I think he's the punter. I think he might be the punter next week. I think he might be the punter this week. Second half. I, I The only hesitation I have about them, about them kind of sampling McGee in a game situation. Because, again, Neil Brown said against Eastern Kentucky that Colton McGee was going to be the punter for the entire second half because they wanted to see him in a game. West Virginia just didn't punt in the entire second half. Mm-hmm. So I think you could still see that. But go back to his comment to you was that okay, after the Baylor game when you asked about Bryce Ford Wheaton and the mistakes he made and was still out there. And Neil Brown said he doesn't like to make in-game changes. He does not like to do it. And I I believe him because we saw it last year with quarterback. Uh, was it the Baylor game? I think if there was even just a, a, a whiff of offense, West Virginia wins that game, but he would not make a change. Um, that's my only hesitation about them making an in-game change. So I, it wouldn't surprise me. If like, I don't know, do you give Sumter one more chance, or is McGee out there for the first snap? Or first that's a great punt? point. It's a great point. I don't know. It's a good point. I mean, it, it, that's his philosophy. He's probably going to do that from all three sides of the ball. So why wouldn't he do that? And I think it's um something to watch again. Hey, special teams, we got it in. Thanks. There you go. <laughs> all right, I want to close with uh, one more note, Chris. Go for it. Got a text from a friend on the, or a uh, uh, yeah, friend, sure, why not? On uh, on Monday afternoon. Okay. Can I get in on this, please? I just want to say I'm fond of Chris Anderson, too. Oh, no. Well, I, you won't tell me who any of these people are. The good news real. is I, I, can tell, I can tell you I know who they're not. So, Because <laughs> <laughs> there have been certain people, I, I can assure you, that have tweeted at me or messaged me directly to say, nope, nope, Mike's friends are wrong, if they're real at all. But I'm gonna I'm gonna assume they're real and uh, and just keep rolling with it. Well, speaking of keep rolling with it, please send your your uh, best wishes and your kindest regards to me, however you want to. And I don't know, we can we can wrap up every one of these episodes with a little bit of positivity and, yeah, see, and, a, and a golden ray to send us into the next the next day. See, Mike, here here's the problem. Every everybody assumed you would be good, that you were a professional, that you knew what you're doing. When you come in with an extremely low expectations for somebody like they do me. It's just a pleasant surprise. So I just lower the bar for myself, and everybody kind of just thinks, well, oh, he's not terrible, and, and kind of roll with it. Hey, I put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> and you got a fancy car, I'm sure. So that'll, that'll, uh, that'll be a, a new thing here, I guess, as long as, uh, as you keep engaging the, the followers. I'm sure they'll keep engaging or enlightening us with their, uh-huh. their very kind praise views. So, um, so, hey, good job, Chris. I'm, I'm proud of you. <laughs> good job by you, Mike. All right. Well, that is all for this time until next time, which will be after the game, immediately after. Yes. And then we'll open it up on Sunday for Q&A. We'll be back with that on Monday morning. Um, plenty to go on. And then no pressure. Chris has to break a story. Although perhaps it's my turn before um, before kickoff on Saturday. Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll find to, a way to fill the hours. Feel free to get a big uh, a big story, Mike. And then I'll just, uh, you know, I'll take credit for it. Don't worry about it. All right, I am Mike Casaza. He and is I'm Chris, Chris Anderson. Oh, geez, we've, we've only done 153 of these. We still can't get that right. Huh? <laughs> All right, and we're wrapping up. We'll see you later.